Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Man, do we have a movie for you this time. Jesse, I don't know where you found this one or or why you found this one, but damn. Today we are talking about the 1980 absurdist comedy film, The Forbidden Zone. I just, I watched this uh, really late at night on IFC one uh, summer and uh, yeah, it messed me up for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. This movie was made between 1977 and 1979 and then released in 1980. This was the directorial debut of Richard Elfman. The movie is kind of a transition point in a number of ways. Richard Elfman wanted to get away from music and into film. Danny Elfman wanted to start composing for film. And the L.A. street theater troupe, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, were transitioning from a theater group to a new wave ensemble, which became yeah. the band Oingo Boingo. It was like a, a family affair. Like, yes, Danny, you know, and his brother and his wife, they were all in it. They were all in the Mystic Knights. You know, they were all in the theater troupe. And then... Yeah, this movie happened and it kind of like pushed everybody into like their own like kind of like things. And then like, yeah, we get uh, Danny Elfman, who's like one of the greatest composers of all time. He's like the top three in my book. Yeah, definitely. So this this movie is like, you know, they had been performing in L.A. for since 1972. It had been like seven years and folks were getting tired of doing that and wanted to move on to other things. So this movie was everybody's jumping off point. Yeah. And it just gets weirder from here. It does. Movie was made on a budget of about $100,000. It was panned after a very limited theatrical release, but uh, it developed a cult following as a midnight movie. Oh, yeah. Movie's 76 minutes long. This is a real quick watch. It's got an R rating and an 83% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And, and believe uh, me, it's, it's like, not just it's not just weirdo fans that are giving it that rating. This movie is is magical. Yeah. It's it's like an art school student went and made a bunch of like German expressionist music videos for new wave pop punk based off of jazz yes yes and then it they is, try to sell it together and make a movie out of it yeah it's not really big band it's not really ska it's not really new wave it's kind of somewhere in the middle there but this is 100 percent an art film for people who oh, yeah. just like being goofy oh yeah as you said directed by richard elfman this is the first movie he ever directed He's also known as uh, the director of the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. This is a group that Richard Elfman founded. He also made Modern Vampires, 
Aliens, Geeks, and Clowns, and the upcoming film Bloody Bridget, which just sounds bizarre. Also, uh, he's been shopping around a sequel to this movie. Yes. Uh, uh, the original version of the movie, it was all in black and white and shit. And that's originally, that's the way I saw it. But like they re-released it on DVD or Blu-ray. And when they did, they did a Technicolor version, which I think that's what we're reviewing. Yeah, the version on Tubi, the version on Tubi is in color, yes. But it, it's a far superior. It, it makes it even more trippier, especially the uh, weird Mighty Python-esque animated scenes. Yes. And uh, yeah, but around that time when they re-released it and shit and they did all that upgraded stuff to it, that's when he had like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a GoFundMe-like page for it. Yeah, it was and, uh, like an um, Indiegogo. Indiegogo, that's exactly what it was. And uh, I don't know whatever happened to that. I remember sharing the link. I remember signing. You know, I didn't donate any money to it, but I tried so to... So the, the last activity on that Indiegogo page was a note from Danny Elfman that this project is 100% not dead. So uh, it's still it's still coming eventually. They're, they probably just got to find time since, you know, they're fucking rich and successful now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, one thing that you hit on that I really wanted to 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 bring up is yeah, this is part three Stooges slapstick, but it's also part Terry Gilliam inspired animation that is fantastic. Yeah. It, it, and it would yeah, to me it would not like... go well in black and white. It does so much better in color. Color. Oh yeah. It it seems to me like a vaudevillian play. Right, done all like Andy Warhol style, you know. It's kind of oh yeah, too weird and fake. Yeah, yeah. It's like somebody came up with an idea, and somebody said, "Okay, how can you make that weirder?" And they just kept asking that question until it was over the top. I mean, completely over the top, and then asked the question three more times. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's if you're if you're a little uh, if if you just like absurd comedy, this is going to make you so happy. Oh, yeah. If, if you're into weird stuff, you already know about this movie. You know, Absolutely. why am I telling you about it? But yeah. <laughs> the movie was written, co-written by Richard Elfman, Matthew Bright, who also wrote Freeway and Ted Bundy, and Martin Nicholson, who... And Martin Nicholson, who's best known as an editor on CSI New York, Game of Thrones, Deadwood the Movie, and 1883, A Yellowstone Origin Story. Is that any good? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. And my cousin, she's raving about it. Like, I can't be around her like five minutes without she's saying Yellowstone this. I like Yellowstone, um, 1883. Yeah. So they're, so one of the things that they're doing with the success of the Yellowstone TV series is they're going back and telling the history of this family because it, it takes place yeah. in like 2020s. But they're going back all the way to to the very beginning when this family first settled in Montana. Um, and so the first one is 1883. The only thing I don't like about that movie is they show you one of the final scenes to open the first episode and then go back and tell you all the story. Oh, I hate when they do that shit when it's like, oh, and then it goes back. It's like, you know, it's, it, 
I know what you're thinking. How did I get in this mess? You know, and the records. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, I hate it when they do this. Good. I heard Harrison Ford's in one of them. Harrison Ford is in the current prequel series, 1923. So I'm probably going to watch that one because Harrison Ford. And that one's pretty brutal, too. It's Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Oh, man, I love Helen Mirren, man. Yeah, me too. Oh, God, yeah. Caligula and shit? <laughs> Most of the roles in this movie are played by actors who were members of the Mystic Knights and were pretty much unknown to film industry. Yeah. A few of them would have roles beyond this film, but I, I think most of them stayed with stage. There's two Go- people that really stand out, like are major stars, and then the rest is either the band or their model. Yeah, yes. And those two stars are Hervé Velichez as King Fausto of the Sixth Dimension. Oh man, that guy's so pimp. He will forever be known as Tattoo on Fantasy Island. Uh, He also appeared in The Fall Guy, The Man with the Golden Gun, and Airplane 2. Suffered from severe depression and attempted suicide several times, fatally shooting himself in 1993. And at the time of his death, he was in talks with Cartoon Network to co-star on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. That would have been the shit. Oh, man, I love that show. I love her, man. I don't know. Something about Fantasy Island really messed me up as a kid. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, Fantasy Island could get pretty dark. Yeah. I was into that stuff. I was like into that, and like uh, Night Gallery and just like Tales from the Dark Side, or, like spooky shit like that. So you spend every weekend watching Comet TV, don't you? No, I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I just, uh, yeah. I collected a bunch of uh, VHSs and stuff. And like, you know, everything you can find pretty much streaming or pirated or something. Yeah. We'll turn on Comet sometimes on a Saturday afternoon. And it's always Tales from the Dark Side and Ray Bradbury Theater and bizarre shows like that that are. I just remember when, like, the Sci Fi Channel, that's what it was like 24 7. It's like every day. Oh, yeah. It was a different, like, old show. And like, you get Battlestar Galactica Mondays and like, Tells from the dark side Tuesdays. Yeah. Also stars Susan Tyrell as Queen Doris. She appeared in Starsky and Hutch, Kojak, and The Hitchhiker, Big Top Peewee. She mostly uh, worked on stage, though, and is lauded as having the best whiskey voice on Broadway. I know, man. And speaking of, like, messing me up as a kid, that lady, I love her. I've had a thing for raspy voice chicks ever since then. Like, uh, yeah. Oh man, what was that movie? There's, there was a Ralph Baschke animated movie called Wizards. Yes. And she was a narrator on that. And it was like, she's got the perfect, she's like uh, the chick version of Morgan Freeman. Like she has this voice. I want to hear her narrate everything. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And she died in 2012, I think. Yeah. You know, uh, not too long ago. I remember. Well, yeah. I say that, but you know, I'm old. So the 90s was like, <laughs> what, five years ago? Oh, you just wait. Yeah. For me, it's that way with the 70s and 80s. Oh, man, yeah. Marie Pascal Elfman as Susan B. Frenchie Hercules. Her only other credit is a movie called Hot Tomorrow. Yeah, I never heard of that. Yeah, I hadn't either. Jen Stewart Schwartz as Bustrod, the servant frog. He appeared in Barney Miller and The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. Was that the... uh, Bionic Woman that starred in that? 
No, it was Lily Tomlin. And it was Lily like Tomlin. Someone went make, yeah, they made the Incredible Shrinking Man, but they made it in the yeah. six, 60s or 70s. And it was about like uh, women oppression and shit. And yeah, was that, just, was in the, that was in the late 70s that that came out because I remember that one. Yeah, it's not that bad a movie. I really liked it. I remember uh, laughing yeah. at it like that. I shouldn't have laughed at it that age, but it was like, eh, it's funny. <laughs> Go with it. Virginia Rose is Ma Hercules. She was has appeared in How to Marry a Millionaire, Huckleberry Finn, and Magnum P.I. Hyman Diamond as Gramps Hercules. This guy is not an actor. He's actually the theater troupe's accountant. And I love his Richard line Elf, delivery, though. He just grunts like, and hits stuff. That's all he does. <laughs> Grandpa? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, Grandpa. Grandpa yeah, that's the, that's the guy. That's the old guy. It's just the dude in a beard. Who yeah, yeah just a dude in a black beard. Yeah, and all he does is grunt and hit stuff and eat. Yeah, I know. Uh, Richard Elfman chose to credit him as Hyman Diamond because he didn't know if the guy wanted to be credited for his role. And he also didn't want to ask him if he wanted to be credited. Yeah, uh, they do make him. Uh, yeah, that makes sense because he's their uh, fucking, uh, what was it, accountant? Yeah, he was their accountant. And, uh, so if he asked him, maybe he they'll did have some, to pay him. There's some questionable stuff in this movie. Oh, yeah, screener at the beginning. There's a lot of weird, questionable content in this movie. Yes. So uh, get a letter from your parents and shit. Don't put this around kids and old people, you know. <laughs> The movie's rated R for a reason. It is not kid friendly. Yeah, and that's they. Don't, I only think they gave it that rating so they can sell it because, like, it's it probably should be like an X rating or something. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I don't like to censor art and shit, but I mean, come on, man, this is some weird shit. This is Danny Elfman as Satan, and he only has like one or two scenes. That's all you need anymore, and a... he, he would he would like melt your brain. Yeah. And writer Matthew Bright as Squeeze It Henderson and his twin Renee Henderson. Yeah. And that guy's that guy. just fucking weird. Was he, he's weird. And like, yeah, I think that's why they put him in a movie because like this guy's too damn weird. <laughs> and it seems like they got, they just gave him two characters. The good thing he's playing twins because it seems like it's like two things of his own personality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's basically playing himself in both of the roles. Yeah, and uh, oh man, I got this one part. There's this one guy that shows up for like a minute. He's in the movie. The Spinelli guy from Maniac. Yeah, and I think he was um, the only person who actually got paid. Yeah, <laughs> if not, he was gonna like yeah, set their house on fire. That guy's an asshole. Oh, everybody else. Twins in. Everybody else donated the money they were going to be paid back into making the movie. Joe Spin Joe Spinel was Squeeze yeah, It Henderson's father. Name. That guy's a crazy yeah. actor, man. Yeah, and he was the only one who got who got paid. Everybody else put their money back into making the movie. Movie opens with a cartoon image of a leaning crooked house. A lot of backdrops and imagery are very reminiscent of Terry Gilliam's work with Monty Python. And there is a narrative scroll explaining that on Friday, April 17th in Venice, California, local pimp narcotics dealer and slumlord huckleberry p jones entered a vacant <laughs> house that he owned to stash his heroin in a basement he stumbled through a mysterious door and ended up in the forbidden zone and then there's this cartoon mouth and eyes yelling get me out of here and lots of dice too 
Yeah, I also like that about the, like this whole Forbidden Zone is just a bunch of like weird dice and shit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to have like shit like that drawn all over my uh, books and stuff growing up in school. <laughs> like, I just love that kind of artwork, that weird, like, you know, underground comics type vibe, you know, like R. Crumb and crap. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely well, then, has like that. It's like uh, one of those come to life. Right. Well, Huckleberry Jones stumbles out of the front door of the house. Huckleberry Jones is kind of like Ronald McDonald. He's yeah. in full clown a, makeup no. with red hair. He's wearing an all white suit with a white bowler hat, a giant polka dotted bow tie, and black boxing gloves. Yeah. He runs out of the house. Then immediately turns right back around, walks into the house to retrieve his heroin, and then sells the house. Yeah. He comes out and he does like a bunch of like Looney Tunes cartoon noises to get his head straight. Yeah. And yet, yeah, he immediately goes back in there, goes to work, and then sells the thing to uh, the family. To the Hercules family, yeah. We get lots of animation descending down through the underground, through layers of roots and broken pipes as the theme music plays. There's also barrels of nuclear waste down here, and you see a line of normal ants walking into the barrel and a line of mutated ants walking out of the barrels of nuclear waste. Uh, like all of this skeletons as, and stuff. Yeah, all of this as the credits roll. Oh, and the, yeah, like you said, there's skeletons. Uh, there's a caveman skeleton watching Satan on a TV set. And of course, the caveman drew boobs on the wall of his cave. And yeah. there are some roller skating skeletons playing dinosaur ribs like they were a xylophone. In the Hercules house, formerly the Huckleberry Jones crack house, the Hercules family is finishing dinner. Frenchie says it was superb. And Gramps immediately vomits in Flash's lap. Many of the men in this movie are just wearing boxers and an undershirt for some reason. Because it's supposed to, it's like filmed in the 70s or the 80s, and it's supposed to be the 50s. Right. Flash is actually wearing boxers and a Boy Scout uniform shirt and a propeller beanie. Yeah, that's the old guy Gramps, I thought she was talking about earlier. Yeah, Gramps is a young guy with a beard, and Flash... The grandchild is played by an old man, and I love that guy. Yeah, that guy's got the coolest line delivery in the whole fucking movie. He's like just like this old like uh, shyster type guy, and it's very well billion and shit. And yeah. it's almost like a Marx brother type uh, character. Well, this is Frenchie's first day at the new school, so she and Flash need to get going. But Flash has to tie Gramps up first so that he doesn't wander into the forbidden zone this is a a new thing for frenchie so flash explains that you know the whole tying gramps up in the forbidden zone frenchie wants to know what that's all about so flash explains that squeeze it henderson has a cross-dressing brother who took them all down into the basement to show them some games that grown-ups play and then he went through a door to the sixth dimension in the basement and he never came out. So they got to tie Gramps up because he wanders near that door sometimes. Yeah, they got chains and stuff just waiting for him. This leads to a song. This is a musical, by the way. The whole thing is set to music and some of it is amazing. I know, man. It's like I hate musicals, but I picked three of them, maybe four for the show. And I feel really bad about that because they're, they're hard to review. 
but this one, like, I don't know, man, it's, it's pretty good. I like it. I like this one. And I generally don't like musicals, but this one, this one got me. Yeah, it's a forbidden zone, a musical for people that don't like musicals. <laughs> so we get a song warning that the kids should never go near the door or they will meet their doom. This song includes two bald men in jock straps performing something a lot like the Appalachian musical tradition of Efing. That sounds dirty, man. I'm not going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be honest. That does not sound right. How do you say <laughs> it that? It doesn't sound right. Efing. I've never heard of that. Ray Stevens did a lot of it in some of his stuff. And then there was a pair of guys, Riddle and Phelps, who went by the name Hambone and Ethan on Hee Haw. Are you talking about the weird old ball-headed guys in the jockstrap? Yeah. Oh, that's the uh, Kipper kids. Uh, I used okay. to see those old guys on, uh, they used to be on MTV, like on bumps in between music videos and shit. Uh, I can see that, yeah. Medler. Like that really, no way. like one of them's the bat metal. Yeah, they're still married. They got a daughter together. Yeah. Uh, but oh they're my like God. a performance troupe. They did like weird performance stand up. And that was like their, their stick is they go around acting like two weirdo inbred brothers and they would just talk like that. So they're doing stand up in Ethan or whatever. But that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <and>, uh, <laughs> Later on, so I think they got used in a uh, Adult Swim bump. It's a, it's a from this movie. It's that scene. It's the uh, Bim Boom Bang. Yes, it's that part. Yeah, no, that's classic. I love that shit. The Kipper Kids. That's like some old school seventies um, art house stuff. Yeah, it's it's bizarre stuff. There's also a dancing frog in a tuxedo. Queen Doris and the princess are overseeing the torture of partially nude women, while King Fausto plays his trumpet there's also a guy who who sings some stuff in spanish here and <laughs> it was the craziest thing i've ever seen in my life it's just a chubby guy wearing mickey mouse ears with somebody else's mouth superimposed on his face yeah that guy lived next to the director he lived in the director's neighborhood and he was the shyest guy imaginable he, i don't know maybe he had something wrong with him or something but they put him in there when they filmed that scene they filmed him singing, but his mouth would, wouldn't even move. So they got someone from the yeah. department. He's lip syncing anyway. It's a lip sync like part. Yeah. So they just put someone else's mouth on him and shit. But yeah, that's funny as fuck. The princess, by the way, throughout the entire movie, wears nothing but panties and heels. Nothing else. Yeah. Well, she wears those gloves. Sometimes she puts gloves on. Yeah. Yeah. She's got like elegant, elegant gloves, like nice, like kind of like, ooh. <laughs> Sexy, but yeah, she's most of the time running around uh, topless and in granny panties in yes. a tiara because art house. Yes. Well, Flash ties up Gramps so that he and Frenchie can leave for school. And it's just Ma and Pa at the table and Ma starts singing Beautiful Dreamer until Pa just kind of bonks her on the head. <laughs> it sounds like maybe she wants some some quality time and he's just not interested. At school, there are girls speaking in pig Latin, and they open up a trash can to find Squeeze It Henderson squatting inside the trash can. And they, ooh, Squeeze It Henderson, and they all giggle and go inside the house. You go inside to the school. 
I like how they did that. Like the school is just like a flat cardboard. Yes. And then they have like a staircase with a trash can where he's in. And like they yeah. walk a three dimensional door into a two dimensional painting. And it's really simple yeah. and shit. But I really like it's that. clever it's though. Cool. It's a fantastic effect. Oh yeah, no, everything, all the art design in this is clever as shit. Yeah. Flash and, and Frenchie show up and and Frenchie or Flash picks up the lid on the trash can and just hawks a loogie on to squeeze its head. And it's mm. not even fake. The camera picks it up clear as can be. I don't know. Yeah. It's up there with like a fake uh pink flamingos and that infamous scene. Yeah. It's like just really gross. And oh well, you, you saw that. Yeah, you saw that all right. Well, Frenchie asks about uh squeeze its cross dressing brother. And this is where we learned that Renee is not a guy who cross dresses. Renee is a transgender girl. Yeah. Squeeze it explains that he thinks he was able to use astral projection to to speak with Renee. His mother was beating him one night and the pain got so bad that he just kind of blacked out. And the next thing he knew, he he saw his his sister there in in the sixth dimension. He actually saw her playing an auto harp while King Fausto and Queen Doris are having dinner. And Fausto is looking all pervy while Doris eats a comically large sausage. <laughs> Apparently, Hervé Velichez was quite the horn dog in real life as well. Oh, yeah, no, I've seen pictures of him. Roger Moore commented that uh, when, during the making of uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, that he was uh, several times late to the set because he was occupied with lady members of the cast and crew. You ever see him like when he's going out clubbing and stuff? I've never have, no. Oh man, like there's pictures of him like clubbing back in the 70s and shit. And it's like he's wearing like a nice like tailored pimp suit. He's got like a big bushy mustache with like coke in it and like uh, <laughs> Elvis glasses. Just okay. It's like little dude you've ever seen, man. Oh, God. Well, the candles on the dinner table are being held by a man who is suspended over the table, which was hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And he's watching everything, you know, not even pretending to look away. When Renee stops playing and sings a line from another song, the frog, who had been holding a sword to her throat, uses that sword to saw off her ear and then eat that ear. Flash puts the lid back on, squeeze its trash can, and, and he and Frenchie head inside. There is chaos in the classroom. Everybody climbing on, on the desks and yelling and screaming, and, and one great big black man holding up a little bitty white dude by the throat, yelling, I'll kill you, you motherfucker. Yeah, it's really messed up, but everything's at, like, double speed, so it comes off as cartoony. Yeah. So they, they play it like that. They play it like a... Uh, um, and they, like, loop through the exact same thing, like, three or four times, because it's so sped up, and they only had, like, a minute or so, so just keep going. Plus, like, you could just point the camera or any camera in any direction of the room and, like, get two or three different scenes of what's going on. Right, right. Well, the teacher restores order by pulling out a Tommy gun and firing it into the air and then calls Squeeze It up to the head of the class to lead them in the Pledge of Allegiance. Squeeze It hops up on the desk and acts like a chicken. The kids all laugh and Squeeze It returns to his desk in tears 
and he's got something like sponges in his hands and his hands up by his eyes. And so he just squeezes his fists and the water just drains out of it. The class includes a pseudo Hitler, a couple of people in formal wear, several pimps. The the two guys in the jock straps from earlier are wearing dresses with blonde wigs with long braids and rubber bands wrapped around their head. That's to make them look different. So you don't say, yeah. hey, that's, those are the two guys from earlier in the movie. Like, yep. no, because they got rubber bands on their nose. So they're different characters, too. <laughs> the rubber band holds their nose up, kind of like a pig yeah. snout. Well, shit, man. Lon Chaney did it back in the day. And there's also a Libyan soldier in the in the classroom, too. Yeah. Well, it's public school in the 80s. What do you want? That's true. Frenchie is called up to the class to tell about her studies in France. We get another song, this time in French. During the, the song, some of the kids start playing cards. Others dance in their seats. As she's singing, a fight breaks out in the back of the class. Johnny accusing Billy of cheating at cards and telling him to put the damn chips back on the table, man. Um, eventually, he just pulls out a gun and shoots Billy. We find out pretty quickly why everybody hates Squeeze It. Aside from his personality, he's a snitch. Yeah. Well, the teacher uh, asks why. Why did you shoot him? And Johnny explains he was cheating, so I just did what I had to do. The teacher sends him to Principal Yodel Bean's office, and he says, "You ain't sending me nowhere, honky bitch!" And starts shooting at her. <laughs> yeah. Like and she starts shooting years. back. We got yeah, a shootout in the awesome. middle of the classroom. As the shootout progresses, Johnny grabs Frenchie as a hostage. She manages to get away from him and dive through the paper drawing of a window. That was hilarious. Yeah. It was so good. They're going to do it again later. <laughs> <laughs> well, she gets away and runs home. At home, she finds her mother passed out on the floor. Apparently, she drinks a bit when nobody's at home. So, well, you know, yeah, when in Rome, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, with nobody to keep an eye on her, Frenchie does the only thing that's reasonable to do. She's going to satisfy her curiosity about that door in the basement. He's going to take a peep into the sixth dimension. So... On her way into the basement, though, she slips on a roller skate and goes rolling through the door and falls into the Forbidden Zone through a whole bunch of twisty, turny pipes to be pooped out of a drawing of a giant butt. With pillows for turds. There are brown turd pillows scattered around, and you just get pooped out of the giant butt. She hears some rumba music and goes to investigate um, the jockstrap guys are in a tiny little boxing ring. No jockstraps. They got on the boxing short. But it's a tiny little ring. And the guy with the Mickey Mouse ears is singing in Spanish while the boxing guys punch themselves in the face. And Bust Rod, the frog, plays trumpet and dances with Frenchie. Welcome to the sixth dimension? Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the princess runs in and stops the music. As we said, she wears nothing but panties, heels, and gloves that come up to her elbows. And she orders Frenchie seized and taken to her parents. The king and queen 
are seated on a pile of giant dice. Apparently, this is their throne room. She's smoking while he's stroking her leg. Nothing wrong with that. No, I guess not. King Fausto is immediately smitten with Frenchie, but Queen Doris just wants her taken to the dungeon. So Fausto orders her taken to cell 63, and a narration card pops up on the screen that says, Just so you know, cell 63 is where Fausto keeps all of his favorite concubines. Yeah. I like the the font they use. It reminds me of Flash Gordon a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's like different. some of the old, some of the old silent movies or some of the the old serial black and white serials. But it really does say, just so you know, <laughs> Renee Henderson is also in cell sixty three. The princess enters with her pet, which is the the guy with the Mickey Mouse ears. He needs a mate, and Renee immediately volunteers. Renee doesn't exactly hate being in the sixth dimension. I, I get that idea right away. That is pretty horrible here, and that's kind of okay with, with Renee. I think he's like a gimpy kind of guy. Yeah. Frenchie tells Renee that if her pet needs uh, a mate, that the princess should get down on her knees and give him what he wants. So she leaves, and, and we see peeping through a window is King Fausto, and he's got a little Polaroid 110 camera, and he snaps a picture of, of Frenchie. This guy is as pervy as it gets. Well, it's the sixth dimension. Everything's kind of depraved. Yeah. Frenchie does not like the queen. And Renee says, yeah, yeah, she is pretty horrible. But I respect her. Then we see Queen Doris singing a song about being a mean woman destined to be alone her whole life until she met Fausto. Uh, the boxing guys are back in their jock straps, so this song is accompanied by men shaking their bare asses and Doris shaking lots of boobs. Like I said, vaudevillian, man. It's uh, you got to put the asses in the seat, and that's what the people yes, want. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah. Kind of like an old burlesque show. Yeah, and really cool. Yeah, that's a catchy song. It's like one of my favorite songs from the movie. I don't know if it's because she's singing it or what, but. Yeah, it's it's not a bad song. It's just that they put it in a setting that makes it just completely ridiculous. <laughs> that could be said about anything about this movie, though. <laughs> well, Frenchie is uh, in cell 63 singing in French while Fausto watches through his telescope until Doris walks up behind him and growls like a lion and then chases him all off. <laughs> she chases him into the dining room. The candle guy is still hanging over the table, and he's in one of those wire harnesses that let him spin around because he's, like, spinning around watching this fight that's taking place below him. Doris is jealous of Fausto's horn dogging, and he reveals his plans to form, to build an army of zombie babies to take over the universe. Yeah, it sounds like a uh, Ed Wood movie or something. Yeah, you know, he, he, he's got, as, as a king, he needs his harem to maintain his respectability. He needs things like that and his army. And she says, you don't even have an army. And he says, I'm building an army of zombies and we'll take over the galaxy. And if you don't believe me, just wait until the zombie ma babies go on the march. Yeah, but it's, it's her village saying all this shit. So it's, it's so cute. 
like, oh, he's got little zombie babies. He's gonna, they're gonna march. Oh my god, he's wearing like a little dress like Napoleon with a crown on. Get, hey, come here, you got to see this. Tell get your phone. You got to get a picture of this. <laughs> I'm gathering a militia of babies over here. Well, Doris wants to know why he's so obsessed with Frenchie, and he explains it's because she's French. That yeah. means she's from the master race and a direct descendant of God. I always thought that was funny, like that whole thing uh, about <laughs> Napoleon and stuff, and like just the French people in general, that like whole thing. I always thought that yeah. was funny and shit. What was it? Uh, I'll speak this, and like, I don't know how the quote goes. It's like, I'll speak that here or there, but with my horse and my God, I will speak in French. I'm <laughs> paraphrasing the shit out of that quote, but he said it. Yeah. Well, Doris is distraught and lays on the table crying. So Fausto gets up on the table to console her. And this was so funny because he's got to walk all the way down this long table to yeah. the other end, climb up on the chair, onto the table, and then walk all the way back and just jump on her. <laughs> you know, like you do. It's, it's like funny, you do. Yeah. Like uh, the, um, the, the, ice make like a little staircase so yeah he's like and she lays on the table and like he has to hop down like two steps <laughs> run in a sped up motion like they sped the film up and they had the little cartoon doo -doo 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 -doo, you know that little running sound and then you yep. hop up two steps and then run all the way back down the table and then yeah he just like uh straight up mounts her right there on the table yeah so fausto and doris make love on the table while the candle guy does aerial acrobatics Afterward, they're asleep on the table under a blanket with snakes lying on top of them. I think they're the snakes from her hair because they yeah. show up on her head at some other point, too. They're like on her head and like they're in her clothes sometimes. Yeah. And Fausto is talking in his sleep and yells out Frenchie's name, which just pushes Doris over the edge. Yeah. No, I was like, she was not happy about that. No, no, she was not. Next day at the Hercules house for breakfast, Paul Hercules is holding up a newspaper announcing that Frenchie is missing under mysterious circumstance. In the Forbidden Zone, Fausto is painting in the dining room. The candle guy is actually a skeleton now, but he's still holding the candles. Also, he's got a like a a, a skeleton boner. Yeah. It's fucking weird. That like that is not part of the skeleton. I don't care what <laughs> That's not anatomically <laughs> correct on anybody. Bustrod delivers Frenchie. She is wearing Mickey Mouse ears now. I don't understand the 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 meaning of the Mickey Mouse ears. Maybe it's to identify them as prisoners. I'm not real sure. Well, that's they're they're in hell. Okay. A lot of people, you know, at this time, this scene, like in that area, they saw like Disneyland as like just one big commercial consumerism hell. Yeah. And so like they yeah, that's what uh lost souls dress like when they're in hell is just you put Mickey Mouse ears on them. Yeah. And Fausto is painting a picture of a pair of Betty Page type lingerie models with one of them turned over the other one's lap. And Fausto and Frenchie start making out on the table while Bustrod panics in the background. Not sure what he's panicking about, but he's panicked. Yeah, it looks like he's dancing. At first, he's, like, dancing and shit. And then, yeah. then when they start making out, then, yeah, he gets really... He gets really know, agitated starts, over something. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, in school, they're performing a parody of the Three Stooges alphabet song. Love this bit. And the best one is when it gets to Flash and he's doing F. Oh, yeah. That was always my part. After the song, the teacher pulls a brown paper sack out from under her skirt, (laughs) which prompts the kids to all pull out their brown paper bags, put them over their heads, and hold up books like they're reading. That reminds me of that one one scene in, uh, oh shit, what is it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Where, like, he's like, he's telling everybody, oh, you got, like, you know, a couple hours to live. And he's like, should we put paper bags on our heads and lay on the floor? And he's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> make it feel better. And, like, it comes back to the bar later on, and, like, a couple minutes from that scene. And, yeah, there's, like, everybody in the bar's got paper bags on their head. And they're just kind of, like, lying on the floor. But, yeah, that's, I like that. It's, like, just out of nowhere. It's, oh, paper bag time. And they're like, oh, great. <laughs> Well, Flash whispers to Squeeze It Henderson that um, he wants Squeeze It to help him rescue Frenchie and Renee. Um, but Squeeze It says that Miss Henderson will never let them out of class early. So Flash gets up on the desk and jumps through the paper window. Back at home, Flash needs some help. And since Squeeze It isn't going to help, he unties Gramps. And they head through the basement door into the Forbidden Zone with extra animation this time. There's like a factory mixing them all up before they get pooped out onto the turd pillows. It reminds me of that show on Nickelodeon called You Can't Do That on Television. It's like almost from the frame, that one scene. It looks a lot like that, yeah. Well, as they're walking through the sixth dimension, they happen upon a Jewish money changer who recognizes Gramps as a famous Jewish wrestler. Yeah. Then he tells Flash that he knows how they can get Frenchie, and he'll tell him for three shekels. (laughs) A lot of rotten stereotypes in this movie, but I guess it's okay because the people who made it are Jewish. Hell, everybody that starred in the movie is Jewish, I think. (laughs) <laughs> except for the except for the French chick, but you know right. I don't know I, I didn't like fact check that, but yeah I know like hell like yeah most of the nice of Ongo Bongo was yours. I mean they were mostly family, right? In the tunnels, Flash and Gramps are being followed by Bus Rod, and he's not really following them in a sneaky way. He's just kind of following him. So Flash tells him to go get me a pack of cigarettes. He says, <laughs> "Hey Gramps, let me get rid of this guy first. Hey Bus Rod, why don't you go get me a pack of camels?" Uh-huh. And Busrod falls for it. Uh, he catches himself in a little bit, though. As they're walking through these tunnels, they find girls chained to a wall, and one of them has her back turned because she's completely naked. So Gramps and Flash have got a dry humper until Busrod knocks them out. Yeah, this place is uh, like Dante's Inferno for perverts. Yes. It's... uh. Yeah, like it, it gets weirder, weirder. Like, yeah, as soon as Flash gets into the sixth dimension, shit just goes like all the weird. It weird goes all the way off the rails. Yeah, yeah. They turned it to eleven, broke the knob off, and then like <laughs> it up to a Sears Die Hard or something for some reason to make it stronger. I don't know. It's they overdose on weird at this point in the movie. Cut to Doris questioning Flash and Gramps. Flash 
says, will you let us all go if I tell you everything? And she says, of course I will. So Flash tells her everything that they're coming to rescue Frenchie and Renee from the queen who is a real pain in the ass. And oh, crap, you're the queen, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) So she lowers them into a pit while the princess watches. They are being dropped into the royal septic tank in another Terry Gilliam-style animation. Awesome. And in the meantime, Doris orders all the prisoners from cell 63 be taken to the interrogation chamber. Our next narration card says the queen takes her revenge. And Renee is singing a song as Doris prepares to torture them. Frenchie's tied to a table as Doris and the jockstrap guys drive up in the Queen's Studebaker. That was an interesting touch. This is all tunnels, but apparently she's got a car to get around. Well, it's like in James Bond movies. They go around like those little golf carts. Like, right. You know, they're inside of a volcano or things like a tunnel. Yeah, there you go. So we get a musical torture scene. Frenchie is defiant, but Doris is going to teach her a lesson by executing her. Some of the guys are hanging by chains on that are hanging by chains on the wall are just ragdoll dummies with a dude's head poking out the top. <laughs> and that was funny. This is a really overstuffed, obvious ragdoll dummy. Yeah. It seems that uh, they're not just going to electrocute. Frenchie, they're going to electrocute her with a giant 30,000 volt dildo. But at the last minute, a fuse blows and the machine gets turned off. Meanwhile, in the royal septic tank, Gramps manages to bust a hole in the side, flooding the cave and letting him and Flash float back up to the top. They sneak through some tunnels and they're caught by a giant gorilla, which scares Flash, causing him to fall off the ledge into a cell where a chained woman is typing. Meanwhile, up top, Gramps fights with the gorilla while Flash humps the woman in the cell as she tries to explain that she's the ex-queen. It's kind of, uh, damn. Yeah, man, I ain't got nothing here because it's like, this is where the movie just gets weird. And it's like, like I said, this is a bunch of like small skits that were put together to kind of have a cohesive narrative through a bunch of music videos. It really does feel that way, that this this was skits that they've compiled over several years, and they just kind of mashed them together with some uh, suitable I'm say like segues. Seven, seven minutes. Like, they came up with this shit seven minutes, because it was very, like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Do this, say your line, and then hump something. That Like, you know, that's, that's the way porno movies are made and shit. That's but, pretty, that's exactly how those movies yeah. are made. <laughs> if you watch, like, some of those weird-ass, like, and oh, I don't know how to say this. Like back in the late seventies, they had like that, like you know, like uh, Debbie Does Dallas type shit, where like you know, like people would like stag go out and see films. like porn in theaters. Yeah, stag films. Or, but yeah, uh, th- there was those brothers, you know, and like they would make that. It'd be like some mad scientist with a monkey and a and some cheerleaders in a basement. <laughs> like that was the movie. <laughs> uh, I forgot yeah. those brothers' names, but uh, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen played them in a really good movie. And I can't remember the name of that movie, but it was a pretty good movie. Oh, man. I hate to get off on the tangent like that, but it is an awkward <laughs> part of the movie. And there's a bunch of sexual assault in this movie. Uh, so much, yeah. It is not It's not like you can even like really uh, explain it away. Because it's not. Nope. It's, like, it's just like, well, 
it's the no, same. There's a person. Let's hump that person. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it turns out the ex queen was married to Fausto until Doris stole the throne by seducing her, even though Doris isn't her type. Yeah. Uh, Fausto couldn't bear to see her die, so he had her imprisoned way down here. And to maintain her sanity, she's been writing a screenplay, but it's hard because there's no hot water or fresh orange juice. Meanwhile, up top, Gramps is beating the gorilla's head into a pile of hamburger meat. Literally. Yes. I guess like a trauma movie at one point. It looks like he's just like punching cat food. <laughs> That's the best way to ex- describe that. He's just punching cat food. Yep. Flash is going to help the ex-queen escape just by grabbing her around the waist and then spinning the propeller on his magic beanie and fly them out of the cell and up to where Gramps is. And then they're going to go find Frenchie, but first the queen needs to leave because she's got to change a TM pack. Meanwhile, back at the Hercules house, the paper announces that two more people have disappeared. Pa is leaving for work with a song and a giant conga line. I love this musical number. Yes, this is my, this is so, it's so damn catchy. It's been in my head for days now. I know, right? Also, everything else in the movie is kind of like, it's like a musical. They're singing about what's going on in the store. They're singing about what's going on on the screen. This has nothing to do with the plot. It's just... But no, they're the just household. singing street names. Yeah, they're going to work at the La Brea Tar Pit Factory or some shit, and it's, yes. it's like it's like an old, like fucking Hollywood style, like fucking musical number, and the choreography is great. Uh, the photography is great on it. It's just weird that this is like in the middle of this weird ass fucking movie. It's like this old school. Yeah, yeah it's like intermission of weird shit. You got like something normal. They are going to work at the La Brea Tar Pits. La Brea We get an animation of the La Brea Tar Pit Factory just belching out all kinds of smoke, and then inside workers are stirring pots of tar. The sign says, absolutely no smoking, highly explosive tar gas. The supervisor blows the whistle for break time, and everybody immediately lights a cigarette. Near their tar place, too. Exactly. They just stop right where they are and light a cigarette. But their break only lasts a few seconds, and then it's back to work. Well, Pa accidentally drops his cigarette into the tar pot, causing an explosion that shoots him all the way up to the moon. Yeah, that that uh, animated bit was pretty funny. Yes, it was. That's where, like, yeah, like those bits really, uh, that and like the uh, the outer shot of the the Valeria Tarpet, they really help with that color. Because in the black yeah. and white shit, it looked like uh, someone animated with photocopies. Yes, I can see but, that. Back at the Hercules house, Ma Hercules is in bed with Huckleberry Jones, who asks, so when did you say that mentally retarded Swedish husband of yours was going to be back? <laughs> and that's about the time that Pa crashes through the ceiling, through the bedroom, into the basement, and into the forbidden zone where he gets pooped out onto the turd pillows. It sounds weird saying it. Like, it, like at the first two times, you kind of like, and then you like think about what you just said, and you're like, nah, that's yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's never but, I mean. They're, I mean, they're like body pillows, right? They're yeah. like those big, long body pillows, but they're brown. I mean, my they're underneath a giant picture of a squatting ass. Yeah. 
Some they're they're turd pillows. Turd pillows. <laughs> we gotta get some turd pillows up on our merch site. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pa heads through a door with a picture of a nude woman wearing kind of like in Egyptian inspired jewelry. In the tunnels, he finds three fat girls in bathing suits chained to the wall eating bananas, and he passes another door to a chamber where, inside, Bustrod is humping the princess as she leans over a table. Yeah, I knew that was happening. I called yeah. that. That was like some yeah. Game of Thrones stuff. I was like, yeah, you never see them in the same place together until now, and you know why. Yeah, exactly. Like, the first time you see the frog... And then you see the princess. You know this is coming. Oh yeah, tell his oldest time, man. Also, <laughs> you like he's like nervous throughout like, half the movie, and maybe it's not nervous. He's just anxious to get back to old princess. What's her name? Maybe. Well, the princess sees him and screams, and Buskrod chases after him. When Pa gets back to where the 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 chubby girls were, he slips on a pile of banana peels and falls. Cut to Gramps and Flash walking through the hall, and they see Pa stuck in a cell. Flash is going to rescue him, but Pa wants to be left alone because, you know, my life is crap up there and it's crap down here, so why change it? Meanwhile, Squeeze-It Henderson is sleeping with the chickens while his mother makes out with a sailor. His mother, of course, Susan Tyrell. Yeah, Susan Tyrell with a chicken lady nose. Yeah, she doesn't have the queen's spangled dress on, and she doesn't the, have the big Bride of Frankenstein wig or as much. Well, she's got different bad makeup on. Yeah, the like when she's the queen or whatever, her eyebrows look like a heart monitor. But when she's not, <laughs> she just looks like someone from the 70s with a bird nose. It's like uh, pluck out all the eyebrows and draw fake ones on that make you look always surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you walk in a room, it's like, what? <laughs> she wants to, uh, she tells the sailor uh, that Squeeze It is his son and asks him if he wants to see him. And he says, yeah. So she pulls a giant skeleton key out of her bra and opens the door to wake up Chicken Boy. Yeah, I heard uh, the mayor it. gave her that key. <laughs> Just to see if it would fit. <laughs> Damn, Mike. Well, Squeeze It gets all excited. Of, Are you really my dad? And the sailor says, no, nah, I'm not your dad. And he starts making out with Squeeze It's mom right there in front of him. She whispers something to him. And then she starts yelling for Squeeze It to help her. Help, help, help. And he tries. And the sailor just punches him in the face. And he's got love tattooed across his fist when he punches uh, Squeeze It in the face. Squeeze it starts crying, I love you, Mom, I love you, and they laugh, and and uh, they're going to go make love before his boat sails in just a couple hours. I mean, that's, like, really hor horrifying and, like, just a really gross, and I don't know, the scene seems like it's out of a Rob Zombie movie. It's probably the cruelest scene of the entire movie. It is. This is, like, the dark kind of, like, part of the movie, but at the same time, it make, it's, like, doubly dark because it's Joe Spinell and that guy's just creepy. Well, Squeeze It sits down at a typewriter and he says, I don't know what to what to write. And a chicken starts encouraging him. And she says, the chicken says, just remember, us chickens are always here for you. Except, <laughs> except, and Squeeze It says, but what can chickens do? And the chicken says, exactly. 
<laughs> but we're 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 rooting for you. Yeah. We can't That's do anything to help, but our that. thoughts and prayers are with you. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that talking chicken from that uh Wizard of Oz sequel from the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Uh but yeah. It was pretty good. It had Fruza Balk in it. Shit. It was it was badass. But yeah, you see all that shit, and you think it's gonna be like that, yeah, like some uplifting, like, oh, you know, and but yeah, they're like, no, we're fucking chickens. What are you, what are you stupid? Yeah. You can have our thoughts and prayers. We're not gonna help. <laughs> in the sixth dimension, Flash gets nabbed, leaving Gramps to find him find him and Frenchie. He sees the princess, the princess's pet. Gramps sees the princess's pet. Which is the Mickey Mouse Rumba Boy. Yeah. And so Gramps immediately starts beating him with a club and then <laughs> steals his food, goes and sits down in a corner and starts eating, puts the plate down to get up and smack the guy on the head with the club a couple more times and goes back to eating. <laughs> like prison rules or something. Exactly. Like bad on him. While Gramps is eating, Flash managed to escape. He's dazed and his shirt is torn. He tries to get Gramps to come with him, but Gramps won't budge. So Flash finds a phone and calls Squeeze-It to come and help him. So it's Squeeze-It to the rescue now. It actually says that on the title card. It does. In the sixth dimension, Squeeze-It opens a door with an exclamation point on it. Behind the door is a boxer who immediately knocks Squeeze It out. And then two robed figures emerge from a door with a gorilla on it and carry Squeeze It away. So he just got there, already failed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's like a Demon Souls game or some shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Oops. Fucking Wrong door. Them. Me too. You know, you know what I hate about those games? And, and I... I, I Bloodborne was like that. Um, yeah, that's the one I played. Yeah, that's the one I played too. And what I hate about those games is they are absolutely gorgeous, but impossible to play. Yeah. Like Castlevania on Nintendo. It's like, oh man, this shit's fucking out of sight. They're looking at little yeah. Medusa heads and shit. I mean, like, no, nope, you died. Go back to the beginning. Get the knife. <laughs> Never drop the knife. Always get the knife. They march Squeeze It through the tunnels with a noose around his neck, and Squeeze It has lots of questions, but they're not going to answer his questions. The one in the back is just going to stab him in the ass with a pitchfork. The princess pops out of a doorway and taunts them and runs away. As they pass the doorway, Squeeze It tries to follow her, but he just gets dragged away by that noose around his neck. They march him toward a fiery doorway with the message, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here above it. They are taking Squeeze It to hell, where Satan leads a brass band in a song reminiscent of Cab Calloway's Minnie the Moocher. Actually, in one of the school scenes, like where they're in the school singing, uh-huh. one of their voices is replaced with Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway is like actually uncredited in that thing. Awesome. Yeah, all the well, Satan love Cap Galloway. Oh, I, I imagine so. Yeah, you can tell, man. I mean, before before Oingo Boingo became, you know, primarily a new wave band, that was their meat and potatoes was songs of the thirties and forties, thirties and forties big band hit. Yeah, they're like the Squirrel Nut Zippers back in the seventies and eighties. Yes, one of the many waves of ska. 
Oh man, don't get me started, right? <laughs> I can't wait till that comes back. I like 27th wave ska, but 24th wave ska is shit. Yeah. See how long my chain wallet can get. Check out these vans <laughs> with the checkerboard pattern. Now, I loved those when they first came out in the 80s. Yeah, I had a pair of them. They were the canvas because, ones. But... And, and everybody had them because of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Because Dennis Spicoli had them. Remember when Sean Penn was almost kind of cool? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I still think he's cool, but shit, man. I watched movies about Killer Tomatoes, so I don't think my... That's uh, true. <laughs> my tastes are a little off, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't think I can eat this meat. It's been set out too long, that kind of off. Well, Satan agrees to help squeeze it if he can deliver the princess. So in the middle of the song, squeeze it, runs after the princess, grabs her, carries her back to Satan before they even finish the chorus of the song. Ta-da! You know, that's how scared he is. Like, yeah. Squeeze it's a fucking coward, but Danny Elfman comes in dressed as Satan. And also, uh, his horns aren't like typical Satan horns. They're doing right. the, like the, the weird nipple horns like they did in Pee Wheat Straw. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, yo, go listen to Pee Wee Straw. We did that one uh, as a great movie. But, yeah, uh, this is probably like my favorite part. Of this is like the standout part of the movie. Like, uh, they've made it yeah, into I a agree. video. Uh, like, this is the, like the final shootout at the OK Corral, if, you know, if you want to put it in like that kind of terms. But this is like, yeah, the, the grand finale. Yeah. Well, he brings the princess back to Satan. Satan thanks him. And then orders squeeze it decapitated. They they chop his head off and yeah. sit it right next to him there on the table. But you know his head's still talking. Yeah, it's like the sixth dimension, so you don't you don't get off that easily. It's like eh. right now you're just a talking head with like dog ears for. I mean, squeeze it really is dead, but he doesn't actually get to die. No, he's just a head in hell. And then the Mystic Knights, who are the band, carry the princess away as the song ends. Meanwhile, Queen Queen Doris has decided to do something about Fausto's infidelity, and she tells Busrod to keep an eye on him. Busrod is tailing the king as he checks out the chubby girls, and the queen gets a musical massage until she vaporizes the masseur with her ray gun. I love that shit. That guy's like singing his fucking heart out. He's singing about the Yiddish of Charleston. Yeah, the Yiddish Charleston. Oh, man. Uh, and, and like, all right, so like he's singing that shit and then she's giving the orders to that frog guy and it's in like beat with what the guy's singing, kind of. And then once yep. the frog guy takes off, he goes ape shit, does like a little fucking uh, breakdance routine. And yeah, he like gets little... really carried away with his song, and, and she's had enough of that. Yeah. So she pulls out a ray before. gun that looks like it's spare pipe part and just vaporizes him. It was kind of cool because like his some of his ribs and his pelvis made a little smiley face as he disappeared. Also, uh, you know, I just say, you know, uh, fucking stereotypical, but uh, when he disappears, there's like a little fish in his belly. Yeah, yep. There's all kinds of bad stereotypes. We're going to get canceled so many times because of this movie. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like they when you did unearth- it, not us. We just talked yeah, it, about it. It's like when you unearth those like fucking Donald Duck movies from World War II. Yeah. And it's like, oh man. Or, you know, there's a bunch of this stuff. I don't, don't even get me started 
about like the really racist cartoons from like you know the Bugs Bunny. Yeah, I was about to say those things. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Oh, I remember the the Donald Duck uh, propaganda World War II propaganda films where Donald had to pay his taxes to beat the Axis. Yeah. And he turned in Satan in one. There was a no, yeah. that wasn't that one though. That was the one where he turned cannibal and he ate some dude. <laughs> oh God. Have you seen That's that some one? messed up stuff out there? I don't think I've seen that one. He's like camping with somebody. He's camping with Goofy and Mickey, of course, because it's like they're always three. They're the ones that <laughs> fucking around. And yeah, some happens. They run out of food. I think it's that or that could no, wait. Okay, I'm thinking of Jack and the Beanstalk. And uh yeah, Mickey throws or Mickey gets the beans and then like Donald Duck goes crazy. It's like there's no way right. I'm slicing this bean and eating with the three of you. And he just goes crazy and his feathers turn into devil horns. And he's he's really about to eat like goofy or something. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> um, so the one thing that I for for no, I I'm getting ahead of myself. So Fausto and Bustrod arrive in the interrogation cell where Renee, Frenchie, and a few others are being held. They're all chained up there. Fausto asks Frenchie to forgive him for the way the queen treated her. And in the background, there's a skeleton wearing a bra and panty. That's Fausto, like the weirdest. It's That's so bizarre. Weird. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Well, Fausto tells Frenchie that she must leave the Forbidden Zone for her own safety. And Bustrod releases Frenchie and Renee. Then he runs to the queen to tell on himself. And she says, what do you mean you let him away? Now go get him. So he runs off to catch the people that he just let loose. That frog is messed up. Yeah. Also, we keep on saying frogman and stuff. It's not a French dude. It's like an actual dude in like yes. a suit with a big mask. It's a man in a tuxedo with a giant frog head on. Yeah. Yeah. On their way to safety, Renee is stricken with pseudo-menstrual cramps, which the other prisoners find hilarious, and it slows them down just enough that <laughs> it's funny because Renee is laying there on the ground, writhing in pain. All the prisoners are laughing, and Renee, in his best Brooklyn cabbie voice, is going, Oh, shit, quit laughing at me, you fuckers. <laughs> Big guy, yeah. He starts getting really hammy. Yeah, but that gives him enough time for Bus Rod to to catch up to him and capture him and take him back to the Queen. Fausto is at the dining room table again, mooning over a picture of Frenchie when Squeeze Its head appears, wearing angel wings, and it flies down to tell Fausto what has happened. So Fausto runs to rouse his zombie soldiers. Problem is, he doesn't really have any zombie soldiers yet, but we'll get to that. Well, in the dungeon, the queen is going to give Frenchie to a cell full of rapists. Busrod unchains another woman who is nude except for her underwear and pushes her into the cell so that Frenchie can see what's going to happen to her. And they all pretend to gang rape her and then throw her into the pit where she is impaled on spikes. Busrod tries to unchain Frenchie next to give her to the, the rape gang, but she kicks him in the balls, which sends him running over the edge into the pit 
where he falls and dies. Well, Doris is outraged because she killed her frog. And she is, is wailing about this when the ex-queen arrives. And she confronts Doris. Uh, the ex-queen has a knife, but Doris has a gun. That's okay, because she throws that knife and stabs Doris right in the hand. Kind of. She just kind of sticks it in her bracelet. Yeah. Doris pulls the knife out of her hand and throws it and just kind of stabs Renee right through the leg. And then a cat fight ensues. And when I say it's a cat fight, it's the queen and the ex-queen with lots of cat noises playing. Yeah, it makes Dynasty look like Bush League, man. They're really going at it. <laughs> they really are. Lots of claw motions and stuff, and lots of cat noises in the background. The fight moves all the way to the edge of the pit. We cut to Fausto, who is still trying to gather his soldiers. His entire army consists of Flash and Gramps. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> That's all you really need, though, because Gramps was like a championship wrestler back in his day. Well, the problem is Flash and Gramps are both busy humping the chubby girls that are chained up in the tunnel. But Fausto pulls his sword on him and convinces him to go with him to be his army. Back at the Hercules house, Ma Hercules is horrified to see the clock running backwards really, really fast. Meanwhile, in the interrogation chamber, the cat fight turns into Doris and the ex-queen making out. But that's just a trick. And Doris throws the ex-queen into the pit where she is impaled and killed. Yeah, it was like Mortal Kombat. She like uh, she psyched her out, gave her a kiss, yep. and then flipped her over into the pit. She got impaled. Also, when you she would... does that, like her titty pops out, and it stays out for the rest of the movie. It does, yes. It's distracting as hell. You, there's like you dialogue. Would... Right? Yep. You would think, you know, the ex-queen said that this is how Doris tricked her before. You would think she wouldn't fall for it the second time because, after all, she said Doris really isn't her type. So when Doris kisses her this time, you know, she just, okay, I guess we're doing this now. That's just pillow talk. She says all yeah. that shit, but, you know, it's the queen, you know, she's, there's, there's a reason she's the queen. That's right. That's right. Well, Doris comes up, her dress is torn, her, her, her boobs are out, and she's whipping all the prisoners. She pulls the knife out of Renee's leg and is about to stab Frenchie when Fausto runs in and stops her. He tells her that they have to rescue their daughter from hell, and that kind of puts Doris's rage on hold. When this happens, Renee gets loose, and he runs into the cell to be gang-raped. That's the way Renee wanted to go. Meanwhile, Ma Hercules is now in the Forbidden Zone. And she's walking through the tunnels, looking kind of lost. She sees Flash lying on the ground and reaches inside her dress. And then she sees Doris with a knife near Frenchie. So she just pulls a gun out of her dress and shoots Doris, who dies in Fausto's arm. (laughs) Fausto is distraught over this, so he takes Doris to the edge of the pit and rolls her over into the pit where she lands on top of the ex-queen. And now they're dead, and Angel squeeze its head, flutters down to land next to Fausto. 
The Forbidden Zone is in mourning, according to this narration card. And apparently, in the Forbidden Zone, mourning looks like a big-ass dance party. Yeah. Uh, it looks like uh, that one scene in Apocalypse Now where the, the Playboy models get off the helicopter. Yeah. It is exactly like that. <laughs> Well, Frenchie is now the queen of the sixth dimension, and we get a big musical finale with Frenchie swearing her love for Fausto. The queen and the ex-queen are both dead in the pit, singing about being dead. Flashback to everybody who has been in this movie. If you, at any point they were in this movie, they're going to make a, an appearance during this musical number. Yeah, it's like those Shrek movies. And it's just a big song about how Fausto and Frenchie are setting out to conquer all of time and space. And there's a giant explosion as they blast off into space. We pan down from the stars to the Hercules house and roll credit. Damn, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, uh, like I said, when we were talking before this, I said, you know, that I had had, you know, a pretty rough week at work. And this was uh, a really nice change to that. And, and I mean that. It was, it was, this movie is fun. I, I probably, for me, it wouldn't have a lot of rewatch value. But no. Damn, it was fun the first time through. The only time I rewatch this is when I'm trying to turn somebody on to it. I only gauge their reaction. Yeah. It's like a litmus test of like how much bullshit can I put this guy through before they're just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not talking no more. <laughs> I, I think this, must, would, this would get it. I know. Like, I, I got to know, like, your wife's going to be around the house. She hears, like, some of the shit I put you through. And she's like, what the hell is, who are you hanging out with? Who is this Jesse guy? <laughs> Why isn't he on a government watch list? You're, you're not too far off. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I used to get the strangest looks at Blockbuster, man. I bet. Yeah. I didn't even know we had this movie. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's a French classic. It's like from, you know, I didn't even know this was a movie. Why are you watching it? <laughs> I can't believe they made that book into a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.